This is Kurdistan Podcast. I'm Laureen and I have an incredible guest with us today, Angus MacDonald. Angus is an award-winning artist and documentary filmmaker. He staged more than 30 solo exhibitions across Australia and internationally. In addition, Angus is an ambassador for Human Rights Watch Australia and Asia and he received many awards for his wonderful arts and just recently was awarded with the People's Choice Award for his portrait of writer and filmmaker Behrouz Boshani, who is a Kurd from Eastern Kurdistan, which is occupied by Iran. Angus directed and produced the famous documentary film called Manos, which also received international a lot of attention on the refugees who were locked for years under very brutal conditions where unfortunately also Behrouz Boshani was held in. Angus tries to better the life of people by bringing to light the injustice which many, many refugees are facing, which also got him closer to the Kurdish cause. And I personally think his work is very important for us Kurds because he's portraying and visualizing the things we Kurds saw and know, but always feel others around the world don't. I am really pleased to have Angus with us here today and I would say let's just start. Welcome to Kurdistan Podcast Angus. I'm pleased to have you here with us today. Thank you so much Lauren. It's it's a real pleasure to be talking to you. My pleasure. Um Angus, I mean I just introduced you a little bit. If you don't mind just introduce yourself in your own words. What is it you do? Uh, what exactly your work is related to where are you based? Just a little bit more about yourself. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, my name is Angus McDonald. I'm I'm an artist and a documentary filmmaker, and I'm based uh, in Australia in a in a town on the eastern coast of Australia called Lennox Head. Uh, I've been a professional artist for about 25 years and a documentary filmmaker for three years, and for the past five years, the area that I've been focusing on with all my work, with my paintings, uh, and with my filmmaking has been the issue of forced migration and asylum, uh, in particular the, uh, the offshore processing regime of the federal government, which began in 2013, which has been a very cruel and inhumane approach uh, to uh, managing uh, the situations faced by many people seeking asylum in Australia, fleeing persecution and conflict, uh, including uh, many Kurdish people who have arrived here Uh, fleeing persecution in Iran. Mm-hmm. And when was the first time you started to work with refugees and what has actually driven you to do so? Well, I I started uh, I started working on the refugee issue about five years ago in 2016. And actually, I just had my, uh, my 30th exhibition uh, after 20 years of painting and I was actually taking a break. And at that time, Uh, the federal government's uh, refugee policy offshore processing regime had begun in the middle of 2013 and I'd become more and more uncomfortable uh, about the inhumane nature of that policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, in 2015 and 2016, uh, there was a mass migration of people across the Mediterranean to Greece, uh, many of those people fleeing the civil conflict in Syria And my first six years out of art school, I actually lived in Greece on one of the islands that had been receiving uh, thousands of, uh, of uh, asylum seekers, migrants fleeing across the Med. And I started to hear from my friends in Greece 
uh, about the humanitarian way in which all the local communities had been trying to support those people who were arriving. Uh, and because I'd be become more and more uncomfortable about what Australia had been doing, I decided to get on a plane to Greece and to go and see for myself exactly what was happening over there. And I was so inspired by many of the things uh, that I saw, many of the, the compassion that I saw amongst many local communities in Greece towards those people that were arriving by boat, uh, that I decided at that time to start making film content uh, around the issue and trying to change the policy here in Australia, which I felt was a, a uniquely cruel and inhumane policy that were that we really needed to uh, we really need to end. That sounds really interesting. And how did the yeah. Australian government respond to your work? Did they engage? And did they well, were they supportive? Uh, I, I don't think it's fair to say that they're supportive at all. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah. we have a we 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 have a conservative uh, government that's been in power since 2013, and they've taken a very hard line on refugee policy, uh, and that that hard line they've taken has been purely for political purposes. Uh, they've used refugees uh, as a ref, ref a wedge issue. Uh, they've they've. Uh, They've stoked fear into the civilian population in Australia. Uh, they've presented refugees, people seeking asylum in Australia as threats to our society, as criminals and so on. Uh, they've denigrated the nature of those people. And it's all really been for the simple purpose of trying to win office and stay in office. Uh, it's been an issue that uh, many many part of our two major parties have used since, since uh, really 2001 as a means to gain political power in office. Um, and since 2013, they've been doing the same thing quite effectively. So I would say that the government uh, has continued to, to talk about refugees and asylum seekers in that way even now, uh, and it's almost eight years later. And I, I see myself as just one particular person involved in a, in a very large collective effort amongst many artists and filmmakers and lawyers and uh, people in the, in, uh, in the medical, uh, professional medical people, uh, advocates, NGOs, a whole lot of grassroots movements, the big collective effort here in Australia amongst many people to try and change this policy. Uh, and, I, and my work is just one part of that whole collective effort. And thank you very much for doing so. I'm very glad to hear this. Um, you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you mentioned you you travelled to Greece, and that time, I assume, as you said, majority of the refugees came from the war in Syria. In general, do yes. you have any information like where the majority of refugees in Australia come from? Well, uh, the refugees that arrived in Australia since they, they they started a new policy in Australia in the middle of two thousand thirteen. Uh, this new offshore processing regime. And basically, the policy uh, prescribed that any person who arrived here by boat seeking asylum uh, would never come to Australia. And instead, everyone who arrived by boat since mid-2013 was sent offshore to, to two different processing centres, detention centres, one on the island of Nauru, which is an, a small island mm -hmm. state, and another island in Papua New Guinea called Manus Island. And, and in both locations, the federal government, the Australian federal government, 
paid for the construction of detention centres and paid to manage them. Uh, and so since that time, those since 2013, the number of people who arrived by boat that was sent offshore was around 3,100 3, people. And they generally came from a number of places in the world, uh, but most commonly they came uh, from some from Afghanistan, uh, uh, some from Iraq, uh, Kurdish people mm -hmm. from Iran, uh, many, many Kurdish uh, people who lived in uh, uh, Iran, Tamil people from Sri Lanka, uh, also some people from North Africa, from Sudan and South Sudan. So there was a range of uh, nationalities uh, that fled here during that time. Okay. And on average, how much would you say they would stay locked on those islands? I think I saw also once a documentary where people were like two or three or four years not able to leave there. Is it true? Yes, it's true. It's actually longer than that. Um, from the original 3,000 uh, people that arrived since uh, since July 2013, mm -hmm. uh, there's still around 400 people that are either being held offshore on Nauru or in Papua New Guinea, or some of those people, around 100 of them, mm -hmm. are being held in detention on the Australian mainland uh, in detention centres. So the people who still remain held under that policy have now been held for more than seven and a half years. Oh, my God. Uh, which is a very, very long time. Uh, so their lives have been uh, in limbo mm. uh, for seven and a half years now. That's really sad to hear. And I hope they will find a way also to, uh, to, to start a new life and that Australia perhaps might welcome yes. them. Oh, yeah. It's definitely... I mean, 400 people, there should be a solution for them. Um, yes, well, I, you know, a lot of Australians uh, uh, want that to happen. A lot of Australians are speaking out, but the government is still taking a very hard, hardline view. That's good to hear that at least the people um, do see yeah, the injustice. Um, Angus, mm -hmm. one of your fa uh, famous works is your film and documentary about uh, Bahros Bushani and uh, Bahros mm -hmm. is a Kurd from Iran and yes. I would just really like to know mm -hmm. how you met first time uh, Bahros, where did you meet him and <laughs> what actually has driven you to to make such yeah, a big documentary about him and also yeah, portraying mm -hmm. him just tell me a little bit more about that collaboration and how your experience was in meeting Bahros well, I'm very happy to talk about Baruz uh, Buchani because he's uh, an absolutely wonderful uh, man, an incredible artist, an inspirational person. Um, we first uh, got in contact in 2018 uh, when he was on Manus Island in Papua New Guinea. Um, he, was, he arrived actually in Australia by boat, uh, fleeing persecution in Iran as a Kurdish, as a Kurdish man, uh, just three days after the beginning of this policy in 2013. And he was transferred, like many other people, to Manus Island, uh, and where he stayed from 2013 until 2019. Um, in 2018, um, I decided to make a documentary about Manus Island, um, and Baruz collaborated with me on that 
uh, on that documentary by reciting in Farsi uh, a poem that he, he'd written about Manus Island, uh, which I thought was very beautiful. And we used it for the closing sequence of our documentary. Um, and at that time, uh, Baruz had become uh, a, a, a prominent voice in the struggle against the policy. Uh, when he got to Manus Island, um, a very good friend of his uh, was, was murdered um, on the Manus Island Detention Centre in 2014. And during that time, Baruz had decided then to dedicate himself to peaceful struggle against the policy through his work, through his art. And over the following, uh, you know, five years until he managed to leave the Manus Island Detention Centre, he became increasingly uh, well known for his art, for his uh, writing, his journalism, his poetry. Uh, he got involved in filmmaking and most, uh, I guess, famously for people in Australia and for many people in the world, he wrote a book about his experiences on Manus Island uh, and he wrote that book uh, in a series of secret text messages that he sent on WhatsApp by phone to a translator in Australia who transcribed all his messages into a book. And that book was called No Friend But The Mountains. Uh, and that book uh, in, in 2019 won Australia's richest literary prize. Thank you very much for all this information. And uh, we, all of us, we actually follow Barros and... I haven't read his book yet, yeah. but I will definitely do uh, for, for, us, <laughs> yeah. for us. I'll send you a copy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, of course for I For us, I mean, yeah. it is really, first of all, he is for every one of us an inspiration because it is very rarely to see uh, someone um, yeah, in the news and uh, press who is actually Kurdish and uh, where people start to know more about uh, Kurds and their ethnicity. And uh, yes. I mean, I also noticed from your work, whenever you write about him and talk about him, you always mention that he's uh, Kurdish uh, from Iran. Um, but, but it seemed to me that I assume also from his communication with you, it is important to mention that he is Kurdish. So for me, I would really like yes. to know, have you actually knew anything about Kurds before meeting with Barros? Were you aware of the situ situation of us Kurds and how tough it is actually for us in those regions where we are divided in? I mean, just to give you a couple of examples, in Iran until this day, mm -hmm. many Kurds get hanged or assassinated, uh, detained, prisoned, tortured just for speaking Kurdish or wearing Kurdish clothes. Um, in Turkey, over 4,000 yes. Kurdish villages were burned down. In Syria, people lost their Syrian uh, nation, um, passport uh, 40 years ago, and they were actually mm -hmm. stateless, living in Syria while they are living on their land in the region of uh, Kurdistan and Syria. In Iraq, in the 80s, over 182,000 people um, were victims to the Amfal campaign Uh, which was yeah executed under uh, the regime of Saddam. More than yeah, nearly 200,000 people were buried alive, blindfolded, uh, kidnapped, mm. and all of this tragic. Um, we, as Kurds, we always notice there's not a, enough awareness in the press and media. And that's why many people do not know about us. Do you feel you had this information yes. or was it something you started to know more about 
uh, when you met those refugees and Barros in particular? Well, firstly, I, I want to say that I it makes me so, uh, sa- it, you know, it makes me so sad to hear the tragedy of all that suffering that's been inflicted upon the Kurdish people. Uh, all, all those heinous uh, acts that have taken the lives of so many innocent people, innocent Kurdish people, uh, it fills me with dread. And I can say in terms of my own uh, awareness about the Kurdish cause, about, uh, the, about the issues confronting the Kurdish people, that I had a very, very general knowledge uh, uh, about the predicament facing the Kurdish people until I was involved uh, in uh, the work I'm doing now. And that's simply because um, many of the people that had arrived under the policy in Australia were Kurdish people. Uh, and the majority of those were, in our case, were fleeing persecution in Iran. Um, and from speaking to Baruz quite often about his experiences in Iran and to other Kurdish uh, guys that I've met, um, who are also people who are victims under the Australian policy, I've slowly uh, learnt more and more about uh, the, the problems facing uh, the human rights violations inflicted mm-hmm. on Kurdish people. Uh, and as you said, I, I, I became aware that uh, in Iran in particular, uh, that Kurdish people were not able to express their culture, mm-hmm. uh, that if they were too vocal, uh, that they, they might be taken away. Uh, these, are all the, these are all the reasons, um, I guess, in looking at, at Kurdish people who have arrived in Australia seeking asylum, uh, that they're fleeing this very real danger, this, this persecution uh, that they're facing uh, of their own culture, you know, it, wherever they live. Uh, and I'm also aware that the, the Kurdistan itself crosses uh, around four countries, mm-hmm. um, but it's a, it, it's a big area. And, uh, you know, I'm becoming more and more aware of the Kurdish people fighting for mm-hmm. recognition um, and for uh, freeing themselves from the violations, the human rights violations that they're perpetually faced with. So, yes, I'm learning more and more about that. But I still think that in Australia, I would say that it would that the plight of the Kurdish people is not that well known and not that well publicised. Possibly in the same way that you were saying about in other places. Thank you very much for this information it is quite useful for us because we we think the same we think that many people still don't know about us and i actually personally experience it all the time sometimes people here in europe they ask me where you're from and as soon as i tell them kurd i'm kurdish mm-hmm. they have big question marks uh, when they look at me so and, <laughs> yeah. yeah and for me yeah. it's really upsetting <laughs> because we are over 50 million kurds and yeah. um, having yeah. this big tragic history all of us and then when you come here people do not know about you and sometimes they know about much smaller um, countries or uh, other nations and people and I really started to ask myself why is this the case and then doing some more research we found mm-hmm. out that we are actually not recognized as you just mentioned and that even inside the United Nations, there's no representation for any thing that represents the Kurd people. And this is also a reason why people do not know about us. And obviously a global silence and ignoring of the media perhaps is also contributing to this. Yeah. 
So um, do you think also that this global silence against the Kurd people is also a reason why there are actually more refugees growing? So wouldn't it be maybe better if those countries and the international community would actually try to help to somehow find a solution for this Kurdophobia called where people could safely live in their yes. home country and just be, be Kurds and not feel fear of being murdered or killed or hanged or detained just because they're Kurds. Yeah, of course, because um, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, the persecution that Kurdish people are facing uh, is, is they're facing that persecution simply because they're Kurdish. Uh, you know, and, and obviously this is completely immoral. Uh, you know, I, I, I think now after all I've learned from speaking to Kurdish people that I consider, you know, um, uh, Kurdistan essentially uh, one of the stateless nations of the world, a large mm -hmm. stateless nation of the world um, that isn't recognised. Uh, and of course, you know, for them to, for any Kurdish person to experience persecution simply because they're Kurdish, Uh, it's completely immoral. It could be wrong. And um, I think, you know, it, closer to home in Australia, um, we have some uh, knowledge. I mean, we, you know, in Australia, I guess we're a long, long way away uh, from Kurdistan. Um, but a place that we're, that is, that, that a, a stateless uh, group closer to home are the Rohingya people um, in Myanmar who have been persecuted Uh, several years ago, and in in hundreds of thousands of Rohingya people had to cross the border to Bangladesh to escape mm -hmm. persecution. Um, they were also stateless people, uh, and I think that yes, there should be definitely more focus on on the Kurdish situation, uh, given that there are so many millions uh, Kurdish people, um, that they have such a long uh, cultural tradition. Uh, and also, I know that uh, I think it's true to say that in two of the um, in two of the countries uh, where where that uh, the two of the states where Kurdistan overlaps, uh, there are regions um, where in which the Kurdistan uh, uh, people are recognised, but um, they're still persecuted. So, yes, I. I I, I think in Australia, there's definitely a very low level of knowledge uh, about the Kurdish people. But I also think through the, uh, through the prominence of people like Baruz, um, more and more people have begun to understand a little bit more about, um, about the Kurdish people. And they definitely uh, have earned a lot of respect through people like Baruz. And just for clarification, you just mentioned that there are two parts of Kurdistan which are recognized or their people are recognized. Did you refer to um, Western Kurdistan, which is uh, occupied by Syria, called Rojava, and the southern part of Kurdistan, which is occupied by Iraq, called Bashur? Well, I, I've done only a little bit of reading, but I wondered if it's true that, uh, that, that uh, in northern Iraq, there's a, a, mm -hmm. an autonomous region, I think. Uh, but you need to correct me because I say I'm not an ex expert at all. But I did read that there was an autonomous region uh, in northern Iraq known as the Kurdistan yes. Regional Government. Um, uh, this is some things I've read, but but this isn't really. This is more of a detail. I mean, the main issue really is that that uh, Kurdistan itself uh, is still a, a stateless yes. nation. 
um, and 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 as a result of that, it doesn't. Ha it's not a sovereign state and isn't able to protect the welfare of the yes. Kurdish people. Uh, and until I guess the international community focuses collectively on that problem, um, the persecution of Kurdish people is obviously. Uh, still going to continue. That's true, and I just uh, ask again because some people think from the media when they see, for example, the situation in northeast Syria, which is uh, in Kurdish called Rojava, um, the self-autonomous region, uh -huh. they start to think that Kurds are actually recognized. I just wanted to highlight that this is not the case. Uh -huh. It is true there is a region, but yes. in the constitution of Syria, It does say every Syrian is an Arab mm -hmm. and they don't want to recognize the Kurds as people uh, yes. at any point because they know if they would recognize the Kurds as people, that would mean they have a right on self-independence or self-determination. So nobody wants to recognize us as people mm -hmm. um, in Turkey. You know, they say Kurds. Some, some say they're mountain Turks. So that is what I meant with, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. And some... And even there was even yeah. a saying that we came from Mars. So we fell some, from somewhere down from Mars. Um, they, they, they just want okay. to push the situation of the Kurds away from them and yeah, say they have nothing to do mm -hmm. with it. It is unfortunately like this. And uh, you just mm -hmm. said that people in Australia are not so much aware of the situation of us Kurds. Um, but is there any sympathy or support from the Kur from the Australian government towards the Kurdish cause? Do you notice anything of this? Uh, I would say from the government mm -hmm. itself, because I really like to always, when I talk about Australia, I really like to distinguish between the people mm -hmm. and the government. Um, and it's very important to do that at this time in our history, because we have a government that is a very hardline government. Um, that is uh, still governing for people in its own image, which is a type of white mm -hmm. patriarchy. Um, the, those of a different color or different, different racial or religious background um, are not really looked at uh, uh, that positively by this government mm -hmm. at the moment. Uh, this, is, this is a great tragedy that's recognized by many Australian people. Uh, so while the government itself is a very conservative, I would say, Uh, a very intolerant mm -hmm. government. Um, I would say that the, the people of Australia are basically decent. And I would say that there's a growing number of people who would be sympathetic uh, to the to the Kurdish situation. And, and I really believe mm -hmm. that Baruz himself, um, who has become a very well-known figure uh, in Australian social history, would probably uh, have some of the responsibility for this um, because as people have learned more and more about him, Uh, and people have uh, come to admire him more and more. Uh, I think it's natural that they want to know a little bit more about him, and I believe that he's been able to convey to people uh, his Kurdish background. And for many people, I guess that's a reason to find out a little bit more about the Kurdish situation. Definitely. And uh, how do you think, I mean, you just not mentioned that because of this film and art, people start to know more about Bahros and start to feel maybe more sympathy or mm. even yeah, because they probably also never knew about the situation of Kurds and why people actually start to flee. What do you think is, I mean, how yes. do you think film art can help the Kurds 
the Kurdish people to liberate themselves or yeah, to support their way to freedom. Uh, do you think it is a good tool for us? And what should we do to, I don't know, mobilize more people around the world to help us? Well, that's a really good question. A really good question. And I get asked uh, about that a lot. And uh, I, I usually have two answers to that question. And the first thing is to say that that art is a very important part of a collective effort. You know, in 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 the in the act, in the activism and the advocacy towards uh, promoting human rights, and that is promoting the rights of Kurdish people and every other person whose human rights are being violated, who's not being treated equally and fairly under the same rules. Um, you know, who's being discriminated against or persecuted. Um, there's a range of collective effort that needs to, to, to happen across all societies in art, which is very important, but also uh, amongst the grassroots people, community organisations, petitions, um, you know, people at local government level. Uh, you know, there's, it's a, it's a, I've learned through the refugee issue here that, it, that it's a very big collective issue with a unified goal that happens across all different types of fields in society, which is trying to uh, increase awareness and gain some traction and force governments to change their policies. So that's, uh, art is a very important part of that. And I would say just talking about art, that one of the things that art can do that's so important is tell stories because all art is really just storytelling and all of us uh, love stories. You know, every human being uh, lives for the idea of, stories and especially stories that are told well <laughs> and uh i would say that in, in the area of uh, uh in trying to promote a more humane policy more equality a more huma humanitarian mentality towards refugees uh, in australia art and film has been very important because we can tell the stories of individual people and by doing that we can show other people that they're just like us, that they're relatable, you know, that those people who are being persecuted, those people who aren't able to live freely and express themselves freely according to their culture or to their personal character, you know, those people are people just like us who want the same things. And through telling stories through art, we're able to show that these are people like us. And then we can make a mockery of any policy that treats one human being less than another human being. And that's why... Uh, art can play a very, very pivotal role. Yes, for sure. And as you just said, people like to hear stories and we notice this as well, that it is actually so important to let people know what is happening to us. And this is probably also one of the reasons why there has been such a long time of very, very big silence on our course. Maybe if there would be more promotions and more awareness mm -hmm. to the people of those states Uh, outside of Kurdistan, perhaps there would be more solidarity and they would support us much, much more. And looking at the situation, yeah. it has improved now via social media, via film and art, people like you who support us, who, who talk about our ethnicity, who say that we are Kurds. This is so important to us. And I would personally like to thank you for doing this. And um, I would really like to know... <laughs> You, you said that a lot of people in Australia and around the world do work within art and uh, to try to support uh, those people who are oppressed, oppressed. 
is there like a co collaboration between human rights activists like you yourself um who work i don't know maybe all together to raise more awareness on the kurdish cause or is everyone more independently working do you see there's like a good network um between artists to to help those refugees and the kurds as well well i think there's i think that there's a big network of uh, people that are involved in the question mm -hmm. of human rights in australia uh you know even myself uh who who have only been really actively engaged in this issue for the last five years i already have developed um, a pretty wide network of people who are involved in human rights. And when I say human rights, um, I'm talking about this question that uh, of some humans being treated less as less human than others, which is something mm -hmm. you said earlier when we were talking. Uh, this is a, a something that is very much on the mind of, of many Australian people right now. And it used to be that we, we thought about, in Australia, uh, these types of issues as separate issues. For example, refugees were one issue. Uh, the plight of our Indigenous people in Australia is a separate issue. Uh, the plight of, you know, certain migrants who come to this uh, country or Asian people, uh, maybe even people who are disabled, people who are Muslim, for example. We, we used to think about uh, the persecution experienced by all these groups as being something separate, but I've really noticed a change in the last uh, six months or a year Uh, in Australia, where the idea that these issues of persecution are separate uh, is no longer the case. And we've started to really think about it more broadly, more collectively, as every single person, uh, regardless of their own ethnicity, uh, deserves fair treatment and to be treated equal. And there's no such thing as a second-class human. There's only one class of human being. And I've noticed uh, more and more amongst the network of people that I'm involved with that, for example, those people that might have been more involved in, mm -hmm. say, Indigenous persecution or Indigenous issues have also been, become more and more interested in the refugee issues or in issues around racism, uh, issues uh, of racism against some migrants who come to this country or people of different backgrounds. And we're slowly all becoming really involved in fighting, in, in mm -hmm. fighting one cause around equality Uh, and there's not really a distinction between separate groups or separate people. It's really about the whole push towards equality, uh, confronting racism. Um, and I'd say in terms of the Kurdish situation, I think the people that are, that are being persecuted and suffering as Kurdish people really uh, are part of that whole struggle that, uh, that many people in the world are fighting now. So I see that as a really uh, positive uh, development. Um, I think one of the big problems in Australia, I just want to say, is has been traditionally our, in, an in, our indifference to these issues by a very large part of our population. I mean, I consider the, the Australian public to be decent people. I really believe that. However, uh, because of the isolated kind of world of prosperity that's enjoyed by many Australians, and I might say many white Australians, for example, um, they've managed to be able to live without having to confront the issues that face the, those in our society that are marginalised, those people that are persecuted, uh, who are subjected to uh, intolerance and racism. Uh, and shaking those Australians out of that indifference has been the really big, um, the, the really big issue for a lot of organisations. But I think that people, more and more people now are starting to take notice of that. And I think that's good mm -hmm. for the cause of every group. 
because unless the people who enjoy all their basic rights and freedoms, who, whose human rights aren't violated, unless those people start speaking out on behalf of the people whose mm. human rights are being violated, then it's very hard to enact That's change. That's true. And I mean, what do you think we Kurds could do in order to, to get more support? Or what, what, I mean, you see this situation, how can we improve and how can we actually gain recognition, which I mentioned we are working on because we believe that it is one of the most important steps for our cause to be first of all recognized at the UN because then we would have a lobby and a way mm -hmm. to promote our identity and to protect our identity because think of it, each time we get attacks, um, any country is attacking the Kurds, there's no way for us Kurds internationally to, to even speak up for ourselves because the international lobbies are blocking us and the yes. oppressive states where we live in do also their best to, to keep blocking us. For them, it's like a very, very big and big fear to, to just hear anything about us Kurds. So they don't really want us to come to the light mm -hmm. and be seen by the people. What do you think or what would you personally recommend as a human rights activist for us to do and where should mm. we maybe focus more on to help ourselves better? Well, I, you know, I think there are, you know, in terms of getting recognition as a sovereign state or a, a recognition that uh, forums like the United Nations is probably a little bit above my pay grade. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not really. Sh I mean, you know, that that's, this is something that's a, a, a political uh, issue. Uh, but of course, if you were able to get that, then you would have leaders who could negotiate, uh, you know, globally on behalf of the Kurdish people. I'm not sure how. Uh, really, I don't think I'm qualified to talk about how to actually get that. But in terms of uh, uh, amplifying your activism, um, I think in looking at the way. Uh, similar issues that uh, have been uh, promoted here in Australia in, in regards to refugees and in regards to, uh, say, our Indigenous people, to take two examples. It's really been a combination of, um, of campaigns that have been raised, uh, campaigns on uh, social media, uh, and then a lot of, uh, you know, people working behind the scenes, uh, actively um, campaigning, Uh, for the rights of uh, those particular groups of people, for example, human rights lawyers, looking at international law, um, trying to reveal uh, where the rights of Kurdish people have been persecuted, for example, large organisations such as Human Rights Watch, for example, who are very active around um, groups of people in the world whose human rights are being violated. Um, I'd say from a grassroots level, though, um, I would say that one way to, to raise people's awareness is really to try and devise um, a large campaign uh, around the idea of Kurdish recognition and to try and uh, enlist some higher profile people that are sympathetic to the cause to champion mm -hmm. that campaign. Um, I think, uh, you know, also in terms of art, you know, I look at Baruza's book and I look at Baruza's profile here um, in Australia, for example, and also in many places in the world now through his book. And I think just by his, through his art and through mm -hmm. his peaceful struggle against the policy here, he's also raised yes. awareness around the Kurdish issue. 
and I know that he is, mm-hmm. is very committed to the Kurdish issue. Um, and I think just because of his own profile, he, he has been able to um, make many other people who previously weren't aware about the, the issue uh, mm-hmm. around uh, uh, the, the Kurdish predicament, they're much more aware of it now. So um, it's really, I guess, mobilising uh, some people, especially some people with profile, uh, to get involved in a campaign. Um, but as I've learned from talking to many people who have been involved in the Indigenous and refugee issue in Australia for so many decades now, uh, you know, I'm very new and inexperienced to this, but the people I know that I admire so much who have been working around these issues for, for decades now have said that it's a very slow, um, it's a very slow process, uh, full of disappointments, um, but it's just about continuing to to try and push ahead, uh, to to be consistently making noise and to gathering people around you that um, that are willing to you know to get on board and join. So um, I don't I don't see it's easy, but uh, you know I feel as though uh, a campaign around that um, and getting people who are high profile to be involved. <laughs> You just made a very good point. When we started this campaign, um, people wouldn't even know that we are not recognized. Like Even yes. Kurds themselves sometimes would not know that we are actually not recognized as people, but rather called a minority, minority which is a, yeah. by an international law, a crime against yes. our recognition, against our identity, because we are people. We are over 50 million people, and we want our identity to be recognized, that we do exist. And this is very, very important for us. And even a book, mm-hmm. like you said, from Bahros, uh, No Friends But the Mountains, is just one of the statements which shows how we Kurds actually feel because over 50 million Kurds do actually have a saying that says No Friends But the Mountain. And imagine that in this world, such a large group of yes. people seriously believes that they are isolated, unwanted, ignored, and not loved in this world. And I think it is very sad. Mm-hmm. And I think that there could be a change for this circumstance, but perhaps we should all work together and try to make a change because nobody should feel like this being unwanted and the whole nation thinking nobody cares for them. Just Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. Excellent. And I've just recently shared with you the link www.change.org slash Kurt People, which is our campaign to gain recognition for us Kurds as people at the UN. And Angus, have you actually signed that petition? Yes, of course. I did sign it. I was very happy to sign it too. And I'm very happy that you sent it to me because actually I didn't, okay. I wasn't Thank aware you very of it. Much. Yes, and, yes, I uh, did sign it. What do you actually think about that we are running our cause or our request of recognition via a petition? Because, you know, many people think that petitions are useless and do not really think that petitions might work. But for us, when we looked at the situation, we understood that many people are not aware that we are not recognized as people. As you just mentioned, you were not um, really involved in that matter or knew about it till you saw that petition. So we felt that this petition gave more information to the public and raised more awareness about that situation that we are actually not recognized, which is a 
a big scandal because how can 50 million people not be recognized with their identity? And we believe that whenever someone will sign that petition and share it, it will provide a bigger platform internationally for people to know more about it. And as more people will share it and sign it, more people will actually understand that there's a problem because self-determination and independence is always a political question. But recognition for our identity, nobody can deny our identity, no matter if we have a state or not right now, we should still have that recognition. And we believed that this is the best way to get people from all around the world aware of that situation and to make noise and to participate in that road. What do you think? Well, personally, I, I, I feel like it's one part of, mm -hmm. of, of a big uh, collective effort. And I think in that effort, you know, petitions can work. Mm -hmm. There have been situations here uh, in the past few years relating to refugees where certain campaigns that involve petitions managed to get um, a, a very large mm -hmm. number of signatures. For example, um, there was a period of time when a number of refugee children who were seeking asylum here were held offshore mm -hmm. in detention. These are young children. Uh, it's absolutely horrendous that w that our government would allow children to be placed mm -hmm. in indefinite detention, but they did. And a very large campaign was mm -hmm. uh, started here called Kids Off Nauru. And altogether, there were around 300,000 signatures. Uh, and those signatures were presented to the government at Parliament House in Canberra. And I believe that that campaign... Uh, had a very big impact on the government's decision to take all the children out of detention. So there are situations where petitions yes. actually do have a big impact. And I think that if, if people say mm -hmm. that petitions are nothing, that they're silly, uh, that they don't really do anything, I think, that, I think that that's not true at all. And I believe that, you know, petitions can't do everything by themselves, but I think petitions are one part of a whole effort and they can be very crucial. Um, And I know, for example, you know, living in a democracy like Australia, that you know, if there's an a, a, an issue that um, that many people feel strongly about, and enough people sign a petition around that issue, you can be sure that our elected representatives mm -hmm. are going to take notice of that. They're going to listen to that um, because they understand very well that in order to stay mm -hmm. in power, they need the vote of their people. Uh, and if they feel like a large proportion of those people have a very strong view on an issue, then they're going to have to take notice and respond accordingly. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I really appreciate that you support our journey with the petition for Kurds. And Angus, now getting back to your work, um, I would be really interested to know if there's any new plan or project you are running right now in terms of raising more awareness for refugees or the Kurdish cause, what is your next project right now? Well, yeah. it's interesting that, that you asked that because I'm, I'm working on a new documentary at the mm -hmm. moment about two other Kurdish men, um, mm -hmm. also from Iran, that were also uh, um, caught up in Australia's policy, uh, mm -hmm. two incredible Kurdish guys, Uh, from Ilam, and they they mm -hmm. arrived here in 2013 as well, and under this policy were sent mm -hmm. to Manus Island in the same way as Behruz, and they were recently released from detention, uh, one of them in January and one of them in December. Uh, they're, they're amazing musicians, amazing artists, and they've also become very prominent voices 
protesting against uh, the cruelty of this regime of the Australian government. And I'm currently producing uh, a film about these two guys called Freedom is Beautiful, a documentary film. And I'm doing it in partnership with Amnesty International. And we intend to complete this film about these two wonderful guys, these two wonderful Kurdish guys. And we hope to take that film around the world with a social impact campaign that concentrates very heavily on the idea of what freedom means in terms of the human rights of every of every single individual, the human right of every individual to be able to express themselves fully, to be able to express their culture, their background, to be themselves, if you like. Uh, and that's what that story is like, uh, all about. And we're using, uh, I guess, in terms of humanising that situation, we're going to tell the story of these two wonderful Kurds, uh, Moz and Farhad, about their experiences of fleeing Iran, about their uh, about their experiences of being held in detention for more than seven and a half years by the federal government, and now their experiences of freedom. Uh, so that's really the big project I'm working on at the moment. Plus, I'm doing some painting and uh, just my normal uh, stuff in the studio. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm working quite hard on the film at the moment, and we hope to have it uh, submitted to film festivals around the world later this year. I'm very excited about that and I'm very excited to tell the story of two more Kurdish people. That is really exciting and I'm sure that many of our Kurdish listeners right now are excited as well to know that there's more work coming, uh, especially um, raising more awareness on the existence of us Kurds and our struggle. Angus, I would just really like to thank you once again for First of all, accepting our invitation here at Kurdistan Podcast and to speaking with us about your work and about your experience. And I would like to say hello again to Kakba Roz Boshani. Thank you very much for raising internationally awareness and for helping all of us. We are all proud of you. And I hope maybe one day we can meet and hopefully we will all be someday in Kurdistan. Thank you so much, Lauren. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm, I was really grateful for the invitation. You're to most welcome. You're welcome.